season three of the Telly Award-winning podcast. Coming at you like Rob Van Winkle, the one and only Vanilla Ice, playing that funky music, rocking the mic like a vandal, lighting up the stage and waxing jumps like a candle. I am Ryland Grant, screenwriter, Wingo Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, Suicide Jockeys, and now Fa Shang Origins, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avalone, screenwriter, comic book writer, coffee achiever, uh, not currently trying to remember the song he did for the second Turtles movie. Oh, Ninja Rap. Ninja Rap. Go Ninja, Ninja Rap, Ninja, Ninja Rap. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. He was really, really quite a songwriter. Quite a, quite a, quite a wordsmith. Play that funky music until you die. Of white of 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 music. Anyway, I, yeah, I feel like I'm coming in hot today. I'm uh, speaking 90 miles an hour, and uh, I need to uh, lay off the gas a little bit here. If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it out. Um, great show today. We'll get to plugs. Um, I wanted to uh, show this uh, this beauty off to um, uh, the the video audience. I mean, this is great uh, radio. I know for the audio uh, uh, audience, but um, our communicator came through our statuette. Uh, this this uh, shapely uh, gold beauty right here, um, shining, uh, glinting, um, hurting your eyes. Shield your eyes. It actually, it actually kind of looks like an Emmy that someone stole the ball from. <laughs> It yeah, it's like, like it was an Emmy, and someone ran by, grabbed the tumbleweed that Emmy is holding over her head. And, yeah, uh, I feel like running. I feel like Emmy kind of sets the standards for these things. Yeah. So, but look at that arch, and I think I think it's a her. I mean, should I call it a her or is I that? Yeah, I go with yeah. they. I think that yeah, yeah, they. Uh, the arch in their back is uh, is very impressive. I mean, it's almost like a boomerang arch, right? But yeah. it is very, it is very pretty. Um, this is our communicator award, uh, for, um, best individual episode, uh, in the arts, uh, and culture podcast category for our, uh, our, uh, comics and politics episode, uh, featuring Emily Flake and Lalo Alcarez. So, um, yeah, thanks communicator. Um, right. it's pretty and, and very prestigious. I, I feel very prestigious, uh, showing that off, but, you look um, very prestigious holding it. I, I always look very prestigious, but I look more prestigious today. Uh, give us a plug, Avalonia. What do you have in stores today? Uh, currently in stores is Elvira in Horrorland number one, though hopefully your local store is sold out of it and you will have to ask them to get you a copy special. Uh, and the second issue drops, I don't know, 22nd? Uh, first issue was Elvira stuck in the movie Psycho and causing shenanigans. The second one is uh, still my favorite title I've ever written. She's a Kubrick house Love in it. which uh, Elvira finds herself in the overcooked hotel with a certain Oscar-winning overactor with an axe. Nice. Yes. And what yeah. you got? Uh, you know, the, the, the trade uh, paperback of uh, my tokusatsu joint, Suicide Jockeys, is, uh, is still alive and kicking and doing well in comic shops. So if you haven't read it, uh, I'm sure you all have, but if you haven't read it, go down <laughs> and uh, grab it. And um, my latest and greatest, the uh, Wuxia Kung Fu epic Fa Sheng Origins, 
if you missed out on the Kickstarter, I'm sure most of you didn't, but if you missed out on the Kickstarter, if you're new to the program and just hearing about it, uh, uh, Shang Origins can be had via the Immortal Studios website right now. If you go to uh, immortal-studios.com, uh, you will find that in the uh, under the store tab. Nice. Uh, go grab it. Um, great historical drama, ass-kicking kung fu. Uh, it's awesome. One of the best things I've written, so go check it out. But um, we're talking too much. Why don't we bring Brian up? Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Hawkins. Hey, hey Brian. How How are you? Tell, How are you tell, the, tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself, Brian. I'm Brian Hawkins, comic book writer, um, freelance editor, editor for Mad Cave Studios. Um, uh, did I say I write comics? Yeah, I write comics. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right now I have a couple in stores. Um, dot, what well, one in store actually right now? Well, We'll see. So, um, <laughs> Dr. Wilder with Black Box Comics, um, huh? issue four just came out last week. Um, there are a few Black Cotton one through six and a trade paperback floating around in stores. Nice. Um, and soon, August 3rd, um, my creator own title with Aftershock, The Vineyard, uh, number one, will be in store so uh, available available for pre-order now correct absolutely yes yeah. go into your absolutely. go into your little lcs and say i want the vineyard by brian hawkins that looks fascinating and good which it certainly does and uh and, and black cotton is from the fine folks at uh yeah, comics yeah yeah there you go yeah cool very nice yeah so uh you know especially when we have creators on semi one one-on-one -on -one like this we always like to sort of do the you know, there's no there's no door marked comics that you can walk through to, to get to get the, the dream jobs that we all have. So uh, first off, were comics a big part of your childhood, and what inspired you to want to do this? Comics were comics, cartoons, uh, those wonderful Marvel trading cards. Oh man, <laughs> uh, the action figures, all that wrapped in, wrapped into one. Um, so. I have some very fond memories of going to this one particular store that, uh, I mean, if I was to describe it, <laughs> it'd be weird, but like, it was like a, like a, um, a storefront and it was just wall to wall comics and had that. I remember like that smell, you know, the smell of, Oh, the back the smell. Yeah. The, the old ink smell. It's, it's yeah. 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 And so, you know, I would buy a couple comics, you know, bunch of trading cards um and i still have this love for trading cards i have some behind me now uh so nice i will oh, I, oh. I i i will walk into a comic shop and um and i will go to the back issue bin you know that they'll have like the 50 cent dollar bins uh -huh. and I will, I will just pick two random old ass <laughs> issues out i don't care who wrote them who drew them what they are i will buy them for the smell you know I will just, I will buy those things. <laughs> I'll crack them open, just huff it a little bit. And, and I, yeah. I got my dollars worth right there. Just keep there it in the, keep it, keep it in the glove box whenever I need oh, it. Only <laughs> in the last couple of years have I finally like gone into the box with all my trading cards and put them in sleeves and put the sleeves in folders nice. and all that. But yeah, I have, uh, my trading card thing is I have the first five Star Wars trading card sets from 77 oh, wow. through whatever that was 78 79 uh nice. and that was like my main thing in that that in the star wars comic which was great we, 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 we are in a we are in a a hyper sort of like steroid era of 
trading cards right now, you know, graded yeah. cards and sports cards and mm -hmm. jersey cards and autograph cards and, you know, one-on-one cards and, and all of that stuff. But when we were coming up, um, the stuff they were doing with TV show cards and movie cards and all of that stuff, oh, yeah. they're not doing that now. I mean, I, I still have, um, I may still, I may have some of them uh, right around here, but um, I mean, I have, the ones that really got me, I have my, I, I can't find them right now, but uh, I, I have a full set of A-team trading cards, a full set of Rocky Four trading cards. I remember the A-team cards. Yeah, a full I set of, that. yeah, a full set of uh, Knight Rider uh, uh, trading cards. Yes. I, I mean, yes. it was like, it, it was, if you liked it, there was a trading yeah. card set. And, yeah. um, and, and, you know, uh, yeah, stills from the show or the movie on the front, you flipped them over. Uh, it had a puzzle piece. You can make a giant Rocky and Drago poster. <laughs> right. So cool. My favorite yeah. is still the Close Encounters of the Third Kind cards oh, because wow. Richard Dreyfus did not sign his photo release. So there are no pictures of Richard Dreyfus in the Close Encounters I didn't of the Third know Kind. That. Wow. I know cards. That. A lot of pictures of uh, Melinda Dillon, of the kid, of the UFOs, of trucks, of mountains, of soldiers, everything except Richard Dreyfus. And I recently, I've told this story before, but it cracked me up. I recently, thinking about that, I went to my shelves and pulled down the Marvel Treasury edition of the Close Encounters of Third Kind comic adaptation. And yeah, it's not a Richard Dreyfuss likeness. Uh, Walt Simonson actually drew him pretty unattractively. And I really think if that was, <laughs> I really sometimes think that was like payback for him not signing. Like, Walt, make him ugly. Make him, tubby, <laughs> make him a tubby little pig-nosed man. Screw that guy. <laughs> this is what you get. Yeah, this is what you get. Are you pulling up more uh, cards? I'm, I'm trying to. I'm digging out a. I'm digging out a thing here. Um, well, yeah. I mean, the the thing I came across: uh, Operation Desert Shield trading cards, which we all I needed. remember those. Who, uh, I, I who, had did, some. who didn't need a Norman Schwarzkopf? <laughs> I want the Norman oh, Schwarzkopf wow. rookie card. Yeah, yeah. Well, that might be wow. a picture of him in Vietnam or some shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow, that's that's intense. Yeah, I'm. Uh... That's incredible to see. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I I, I interrupted you with my uh my. Oh, no, no, no. But no, so, uh, so how do you how do you get to starting to write them yourself? So, um, I guess you can say like my my reintroduction to comic books really came through. Um, through the walking dead. Like I really remember like my childhood, you know, it was just Marvel in, 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 in DC. I was, I definitely was not familiar with independence. And so, um, I remember I was watching the, it was the very first season of the walking dead. And I remember, you know, it said, you know, created by et cetera, et cetera. And it said based off of the graphic novels. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so like the very next day I went to the comic book store and I'm like, and it had been a while since I had been in a comic book store. I'm like, and that kind of, it was my rediscovery and kind of threw me back into like finding this whole new world of independence that I, you know, I was not familiar with at first. So that was 2012. And, um, and it's been reading comics ever since, like back, back to my childhood back to my younger years. Um, and then what ended up happening was I'm like, huh, well, I wonder if I could write a comic. Cause I, you know, I, so I've always been like an aspiring writer. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, I, 
sent out the screenplays to the agents, got plenty of rejection letters, still have them, still have them right here on my desk. Um, you know, wrote a couple plays, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if I can write a comic. And so I I got um I ordered the Dennis O'Neill sure. writing comic book. And I read through that and you know, it was very there's some similarities, of course, between script writing for film, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, I think I can do this. And so I kind of taught myself how to, you know, and I love, I just love scripts. Like I love the look of scripts. I love everything about them. So that kind of was my jump off right there. Yeah, so that Danny, Danny O'Neill book is great. And it's, there's a lot of like, and I mean this in the best way, there's a lot of writing 101 stuff in there too. It's not mm-hmm. just comic books. It's, you yeah. know, he's, He's very, very thorough in that book. Uh, it's one of the more thorough books actually out there that really digs into uh, into comics. I notice a lot of pro writers when they do their how to write comic books book, they got about maybe 20 pages of advice and then they run out of steam and they're like, <laughs> here's some articles that friends of mine have written that you may also enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Because, uh, you know, it's there's a lot of it that comes from like I said, basic writing disciplines. And if you have that stuff down, the stuff that seems specific to comics seems like a relatively smaller group of thoughts and ideas and whatever. I remember when I started out, I became obsessed with page turns and I'm still kind of obsessed with page turns and like making making that happen every single goddamn time. No page right, right. can have some kind of like, huh, at the top of the next page. Uh, yeah. and you can you can go to you can go a little far with that I think sometimes, but uh, <laughs> not well, every it, it, not every two pages needs a stunning revelation. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you spend all that time on it too, and then the uh, and then your publisher is like, you know what? Uh, I think we're gonna we're just gonna slip an ad in here, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, up, up front, and then uh, yeah, and then all your page turns. I noticed over. that. Luckily, so far, I've noticed that when Dynamite does it, they put enough pages in to maintain my page turns. Yeah, yeah. Like if if they put ads in, it's two pages of ads and we're right back where we started. They also used to, I wish they still did this. They used to, all the ads would just be at the end of the book. Yeah. 20 straight pages of comics and then eight pages of ads. And I honestly don't think, I think you spend more time looking at the ad when you're done reading the comic. Because when you're reading the comic, you just absolutely whiz by it. You do not pause. You go, yeah, oh, garbage. Right. Let me move on to the next page. But when you're done reading, you got nothing left to do, so you can actually yeah. look at. Oh, those well, that books. looks interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can actually take a to, to read the back matter, and you know all yeah. that. Yeah. That's my own. But yeah. yeah, there's one trade that I had published where they put page one on an even, yeah. and it, mm. it and it threw off the whole thing. I'm like, wow, all of those page turns. 80 pages of page turns in, in the garbage. Okay. That's yeah. Nice. And I mean, if you're a creator, a couple of things, I mean, because I mean, this is, you know, this has been a, a learning experience for me. I mean, it's, um, you know, one, like you should be getting proofs before these things go to print. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it, it takes them, they're, they're making them up anyway, it takes yeah. them 10, 10 seconds to email it off to you. And, <clears throat> and it, it is a good thing for them to show it to someone else and to show it to someone who cares yeah. about it and is going to go over it with a fine tooth comb and say like, Hey, we missed this. Uh, let's get this right before it goes, uh, you know, to print 18,000 copies, um, uh, you know, as opposed to just tossing something out there. Um, the, you know, uh, editors, publishers, um, they're not, 
they're not working against you with this, right? Uh, they are so, yeah, they, they are extremely busy. They, they have, you know, they have 30 books that, uh, that they're trying to get out in various stages. They're checking this, they're checking that, they're moving that. They're getting called into a meeting about larger issues. Uh, they have people messaging them about royalties. They have blah, 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 blah. And so there's not enough bandwidth. Um, but, but if you go to your editor, if you go to the exec at the comic company and you say, hey, this is important to me, let's get this right. Uh, uh, you just put a little squeak in that wheel because those are the ones that get the grease. Then, then they're gonna they're gonna pay attention to it. You yeah. Know I mean? um, I mean, an important lesson though is yeah. assume nothing. Assume nothing. Yeah. I have one trade that has two pages where half the dialogue is simply not there. Half mm -hmm. the balloons mm -hmm. are just gone, and I didn't look at them because when I got when I get a trade PDF. My thought is, well, this is they're just repainting the stuff that's in the comics. So I don't have to look at that 80 pages. I just need to look at the 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 inside front cover and see how the title page works out and see how the transitions between issues work. Are there enough pages, whatever? And so I didn't look at the individual issues thinking, well, this is it's just the file they already printed. It looked fine when I gave right. it to a year ago. Yeah. And this somehow a layer, you know, printer dropped a layer on a thing. And I went back and looked, it was, the mistake was in the proof they sent me and me, yeah. the editor in chief, the editor, the graphic designer and the person in charge of five people had that PDF. Yeah. And none oh, of them. And I got to a point where every once in a while I'll get a, a, a message on Instagram, like, Hey man, uh, the first two pages of issue eight. And I'm like, <laughs> Uh, send me your email address and I'm going to email you <laughs> digital copies of those two friggin' pages so that you know what happened. I mean, the nice thing is every once in a while I was like, did, so I get an, an email that's like, did you know this is missing? And I offer to send them the pages and they're like, Oh, I have the floppies. It's no big deal. Yeah. I just wanted you to know. I'm like, okay. It, 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 if you go to the, the trade paperback of Banjax, um, uh, there, there are chapter pages before each issue starts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it says, it says chapter one, the title, chapter two, blah, 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 blah. The, the chapter three title page says chapter two on it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the letterer took the old, you know, the old layout for the chapter page and he laid a three over the two. And like you're talking about abalone, um, you know, in the floppy, it's right. Um, but somehow, some way, uh, when, yeah. um, when the, the trade went to, uh, to print, uh, a layer got dropped somewhere, and um, and again, it was in the proof, and and I yeah. and I, just, I just took for granted. It's like okay, well, well, these yeah. pages were right in the uh, they were right in the floppy, so I don't have to check those. Let me just make sure that the the page turns right, that everything's yeah. there. Oh, no, um, look, at, look at every page, yeah. and you know, I grew up with a novelist, and I <clears throat> this is why I should know better than anyone. I remember watching my father literally pacing around the house with two hundred pieces of paper in his hand and a pen going, no, 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 like, you know, he would get galleys of a novel and, it, you know, a part of his job was sitting on the couch with these pages going, no, <laughs> that's wrong, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and stuff still gets by, you know, yeah. yeah. He, wrote a, he wrote a book in 53 <clears throat> called Paul Dolores and when it was reprinted in 1972, they wanted to update the references so they mm -hmm. changed every appearance of New York Giants to New York Mets, but they did not change the names of the players. 
So they had a bunch of 1950s New York Giants players playing for the Mets in 1972. I'm like, that guy's actually dead. (laughs) We'll cross him off then. Um, uh, The the, the idea of that, like that tangible, visceral paper edit uh, is really interesting. I mean, I, 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 you know, I came up, I mean, I've been in the film business long enough where it's like, well, you wrote on final draft, but at the end of that, you printed out your 90 to 120 page document. You got the red pen out and you went to work on it. You know what I'm saying? And there was like a, again, there's just like a, there's like a tactile physical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's something about seeing it laid laid out and you're, you're drawing arrows and you're moving stuff and it becomes this, um, and I don't do that anymore. And 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 I think you know the, the biggest thing is like I mean digital workflow has just become it's become the standard and speed has yes. become the standard. And um and and for me a lot of it is an environmental thing. Like why kill all those trees, right? Yeah. Um, but there is something missing. And uh, and you know there are still there are still editors, comic book editors that will print the pages out and they want to see how they look. And um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know I I, I remember uh, you know Brian Cunningham, who was my editor on Fashing Origins, uh, has all these has all these tricks where um, you know he's trying to he's trying to make sure that the coloring on the cover is right. And what he will do is he will he will convert the cover to grayscale. And he will flip the image upside down, so your mind is not your mind is not processing. It's not putting the picture together necessarily, and he and he will test where the eye is going, and and, and you know, wow. and he, he he can just tell you like the eye is not being pulled to the right place because because of this, you know. You convert it to grayscale, you flip it over. Let's see where the eye goes. Well, the eye goes here. Well, the eye shouldn't be going here. It should be going here, like to the guy's face. So we have a problem here. We need to get the we need to adjust the coloring so our eye is going to the guy's face. Um, uh, there are these, these you know, th- these physical tricks, I think, that really bring something to the table. And, and my worry is that we we work so quickly now. We're, we are so digital and we are so yeah. onto the next thing, onto the next thing that, that we've we've ceased to do a lot of these things. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, well, it's like uh, any of the digital tools, you know, it, Walter Murch in his great book on film editing says that. You know, it's great to be able to say, call up scene five, take three, because that's what it says in my notes. Mm -hmm. But in the old days, you had to take a reel of film and you were scrolling through those first three takes before you got to take four. And maybe you'd see something that you didn't think about when you made your notes. And he said, all you have to do to correct this is go, you know what? I'm going to look at those first two takes again. I'm going to do as if it was on a reel. I'm going to call up take one and take two and I'm going to spin through them real quick and see if I missed anything. Yeah, but it is. It takes a yeah. It does take an effort to like remind yourself. I want to, but it's interesting. I I come from a very you know, I'm older and come from a, a completely paper non digital world, and I still tend to do if not first drafts at least outlines in a notebook. I have notebooks for every project, and I at least do basic outlines, and then I retype. Sort of like it gives you a de facto first draft. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the fact that you, between retyping a thing you wrote down, you rethink it. And that that's yeah. just that one more draft, that one last rethink. Uh, so that tends to work for me. I also, I hate the visual of see, sitting in a coffee shop with a laptop. So I will always, oh, be, wow. uh, I will always have it. I just never want to be that guy. Uh, so I'm always sitting there with a notebook. It uh, is. 
it is very hard for me to keep up with the you know sort of you know caffeine fueled chaotic uh you know sort of deluge of ideas uh writing freehand um you know i can type a lot faster than i can you know get a get, you know get ink down on a a page so that's very hard uh, uh for me i mean it, obviously there was a time when i did it you know i grew up yeah. I, was, I was the editor of the school newspaper and we wrote our stories out by hand, <laughs> you know, and then and, and then we walked back into the computer room and we tucked them in and, and then, and then laid, laid, laid them out. And, and it's like you're saying, I mean, you are editing as you're typing in. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, so there is that thing. Um, yeah. But, so what was the what was the first script you wrote, Brian? The first, the first comic script, script, I should say. The first script. Uh, my very first one was, um, to be honest, with you, I'm still working on it to this day. It's called America's Kingdom. Um. It's it's had it has had many forms, but uh, that was my very first story. Mm. And yeah. was that intended to be a first issue of a series? Have you, where are yeah. so I've gotten, gotten up to there? three issues oh, okay. <laughs> from from twenty twelve. I've gotten up to 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 actually having three produced art issues of it, but oh, I okay. have like like five scripts. Um, it was meant to be a back then, you know, ongoing series was the thought, right? Um, but I, I did write up to five issues and I actually have, after many revisions, three of them in art. So oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you're looking for a place to, for them, for it to find a home. I'm, you know, kind of, sort of like I have a couple options for it. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm still not, there's still some things I want to do with it with the colors so, you know, it's just one of them projects that I think, you know, <clears throat> universe willing 10, 15 years later, I'm like, okay, now it's ready. Yeah, that that's how it works with some stuff. There, oh. There's stuff that I've had lying around for forever, and then suddenly it becomes the thing that I'm working on right this minute. Yeah. You know, I'm one of the things that I'm trying to set up at a publisher right now is a story idea I've had since I was about 10 years old, and that oh. was 40, 46 years ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, things, things take the time that they take. What was the yeah. first thing that you got published? What led to a, what was the first thing that you got out into the world? The first thing I got published. Okay. So this takes it back. The very first thing that I got published, it was so, it was so brief. Um, man, this is an unknown story. It was, um, called the recreation project. Hmm. And this was going back um, with Alternative Comics before Alternative Comics was the Alternative Comics of now. Mm -hmm. um, and they were only publishing on Comixology then. Um, and I got one issue out there and I could not continue it because I was paying the artists. And I just, I just could not keep up you know, just too much of a financial burden. So sure. I ended up having to break the contract and um, that was that. And that was 2013, 2014, maybe. So, so you, you paid for a first issue and then Alterna agreed to publish it once you showed it to them or did you start with a script with them? What was the process? No, I, I started with the actual comic. Um, mm -hmm. I sent in the first, maybe the first six or eight pages. Mm -hmm. um, it was accepted. And then I, you know, I paid for, you know, the rest of it. And there were just no, 
no feasible way for me to actually do you know the next four issues the next was it four issues or five next four or five issues and like financially i just couldn't do it so yeah no that's i mean a lot of the indie deals out there that i hear about i'm like well but that's that's essentially you're self-publishing and you're letting someone else put their logo in the upper left-hand corner like what do you what do you really and you know there's that thing of I always say this, that, you know, the thing about having a publisher is just you get in that, you get in previews. That's, yeah, that's the but, thing. But see, that wasn't even the case then because right, at that time it was just yeah. comicsology for them. So, right. you know, I was thinking like, where's, <laughs> where's yeah. the win in this woman really, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there was this, there was this thing that happens where it's like, I mean, if you think about it in dollars and cents, it's, it's never going to add up, right? I mean, even, uh, even if you end up, at, you know, at a good publisher, uh, I mean, these things cost a lot of money to, to. I mean, a, 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 um, a creator-owned book costs a lot of money mm-hmm. to get across the finish line, right? You're probably yeah. not going to make that money back uh, in a lot of ways unless you're, um, you know, again, you supplement with Kickstarter, you, you do other things, but. But what yeah. you do, what you do over a period of years, right, is you build a brand, you build a, yeah. uh, a body of work, and and if you hadn't done that, then maybe, you know, the next thing doesn't come, and um, and you know you, you sort of rack up these wins, and then you know suddenly aftershocks calling, so uh, um, you know it's 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 you're kind of you're setting up dominoes and letting them fall, and uh, and and yeah. you may be in the red for a good long while, right? Um, mm-hmm. But 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 you know, I mean you know, how do you become a director? You, you make short films, right. And they cost mm-hmm. you a shit ton of money. <laughs> um, and, 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 and hopefully, you know, hopefully you, you do a couple of them and, uh, you know, you get into the right festival, the right person notices, um, it becomes a calling card for a, a, a future yeah. gig down the line. And hopefully you, you make a career out of it. I mean, that's what, I mean, it's the biggest piece of advice I can give somebody is like, if you, if you think about it, only in the here and now, like, oh, wow, this is going to cost me 10 grand and I'm not going to make that back. I can't do that. Right. Like, uh, um, but if you think about this as a marathon and not a sprint um, and that this is the necessary step, um, you know, then you, because, because here's the thing is like you, you did this thing with Alterna and it, it didn't work out how you thought it was going to, but um, that wasn't the end of it. Like you, you right. continue to make creator own comics and you know, you've done, how many books have you done since then? Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really have the number, but several yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 What was yeah. the next step after that book? Where did you move on from there? Man, what was that? So that was, I'm trying to think of the year. Um, I believe I tried to go back to writing America's kingdom. I think I did, you know, I, I was a hundred percent, on board with self-publishing. I think I did a couple of Kickstarters, you know, cycling through that, working through that, trying to figure out how that really works really early on too, like, you know, in 2015, 2016. Right. Um, and, you, you know, it wasn't until about 20, maybe 2016, 2017, um, that I linked up with, um, some like like small like smaller publishers mm-hmm. who had ideas but were looking for writers uh-huh. who were still doing books on Kickstarter but they were like hiring writers. So I did a couple of those, which kind of began to build a portfolio, and uh-huh. then I found my way 
to to Upwork. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that platform, but like you know, it's a freelance platform. Um, mm-hmm. And I began to like they have like there's so many people on that platform that you know at the time, especially and still are looking for writers to write stuff. You know, from novels to to to, to screenplays to uh, web series to comic books. And um, I, I put in my application and Upwork accepted me and I just began to freelance and that really built up my portfolio. And that was kind of like the really, like the, the, the turning point or the springboard, I guess, because I actually met, um, I met Mad Cave Studios through Upwork. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, that you know, I've never heard that as the springboard before. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it really just worked out for me. Like, you know, I was constantly on there, I was getting a lot of freelance work, and I was, you know, making decent money on the side from um, my other full time job of being a teacher. So I'm like, okay, so I'm teaching and I, I'm freelancing. This is great. I'm building this portfolio, and I really focused on that. and I began to do some editing too. And I was like, okay, well, I'll freelance, write, freelance, edit. And uh, Mark London, um, they were not in um, in previews yet. They were going to be that following January was going to be the first time that Maggie Studios was going to be um, in stores, in, in, in previews. And I... I met them like a few months before that was going to happen. And they were looking for some editors and we clicked and I've been with Mad Cave ever since. Wow. So that kind of was like the, um, the springboard. And, you know, I, Mad Cave is, is like family to me. You know, like they, <laughs> they took me in um, and, you know, I learned so much uh, from, from being, you know, in the inner workings of what they were doing, you know, as they really launched Mad Cave Studios. That was cool. Cool. That's yeah. a, yeah, that, like I said, that's a completely unique origin story, uh, partially because I think we, Upwork comes along after I'm sort of tr- looking for, for gigs on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in back when I was, Doing that Craigslist. Yeah, yeah, me too. Oh wow. I got a job. I produced a movie from a Craigslist ad. Like, you know, oh, someone cool. said they were looking for a movie producer. And by sheer coincidence, they had seen the last movie that I had produced and liked it. And they were like, Oh, great, you. I, I love your movie. Let's let's have you on to produce it. Um, so that was nice. But um cool. but so much garbage and so the number of times that i just was bored enough to write someone and say hey this thing that you wrote violates state labor laws so you should probably take this down you use it a lot of employers use the word potential employers bad potential employers would use the word young as code for we're not going to pay you very much and i always say actually age can't be a, a thing in hiring or that's a violation of federal employment law and you you don't want that heat so you should probably remove this but uh there was a lot of that you also got a lot of uh i was mostly a film editor at the time and you would get like you know 
looking for a film editor, must be multiple award winner nominee with over 30 years experience, copy and meals provided. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, really, you want an Academy Award nominee and you're giving him a, a DVD for his work, for working for you for a month. He's I, 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 that. Yeah, I, 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 I love those early years where, um, you know, being a, a film student and, you know, whatever, having a, a contest win or, or, or something like that. And you would just, um, I mean, sometimes it popped up on Craigslist. Sometimes it was a, a friend of a friend or, you know, uh, acquaintance of an acquaintance. And it would be like, hey, uh, you know, they want a they want a lesbian vampire movie with uh, with a tank in it. Uh, and they're, they're going to pay somebody five grand, you know, and you get on the phone with somebody and, and, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, I think I would have been, I, I, I mean, one, like, you know, when you're, 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 you're young, uh, and, and, and hungry and you're in film school and you're trying to keep the, uh, the, the bills paid and everything, um, you know, getting paid to write anything is a, is a great yep. thing. And, and I, I think I would have been less open to it, but, um, I, I worked for, Hal Hartley for a period of time. One of my first jobs in the film business was um, I um, I worked in development for Hal Hartley. I helped build kind of a development program uh, around him. And one of my first jobs was, um, you know, Hal had been writing for a couple of decades at that point. And like any of us, when you do that, you, you have a mountain of scripts that never got made, right? They're just sitting on a shelf collecting dust. And so my my first official task was to go through these old scripts and um, and kind of cull through them and just see if there was anything in there that that we could get some traction on that that we could uh, uh, go through. And a lot of these scripts were this sort of thing where you know I mean Hal is I mean Hal's a, a brilliant writer. He he writes his own stuff, but this guy could he could have made hundreds of millions of dollars as a script doctor. Uh, uh, you know, had had very little interest in doing anything other than his stuff uh, once he was established. But before he was established. You know, he's he's a student or whatever. He's he's trying to pay some rent. And again, someone would come out of the woodwork like, uh, uh, well, we have a couple of boats and um, and we want a zombie thing. And, uh, you know, there's this great lake house. So uh, so those are your five variables. Let's write a movie around it. Um, and uh, and, um, you know, one of these things ended up being the zombie project called The Ill. Um that we uh, that we ended up getting George Romero attached to, and uh, I, got, I got to help supervise some rewrites with George Romero on it, uh, which was you know right. I was 19 years old, and you know uh, mini dream come true. Um, I mean the the ill the ill is probably it never got made, but it's probably out there on the internet somewhere. Um, but so 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 this was good enough for Hal, and so when you know when I was young and in film school, um, I'm like, well, if it's good enough for Hal, like. Why don't I take the five thousand dollars to write the the lesbian uh, 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 vampire movie that these people? Yeah. Are, you know, uh, and so so there's a lot of that stuff. And, and here's the thing: is that stuff still comes out of the woodwork, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I'm 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 more firmly established now, and I, I don't have the bandwidth I did, but there's still these opportunities that, that pop up. We're like, hey, we have a significant chunk of change, and we want this turned into a comics book. Can you help us out? Yeah. Um, and I, um, if I have the time. And the pay is good enough. I'll I'll take it. I, I might not put my name on it in the end. Yeah. Um, uh, and and if I can't take it, I will sort of pass the puck to somebody mm-hmm. uh, 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 who does have the bandwidth for it and can use the money. Um, but there's a lot of that, you know. And I I, I think finding um, I mean making a career, uh, you know, building the foundation of a career out of it, like you did, is very interesting. You know, I mean, I I think it was I think I was using it to 
you know, again, to, to keep food on the table, like, in, you know, during lean times. But the idea of like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to pour a fucking cement slab with this shit and then I'm going to build a pretty house. On top. <laughs> that's that, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I, def, I definitely appreciate that. It, it it worked out. I don't know if that's like the um, I'm, I don't know appropriate or the 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 best path, but um, yeah, it's 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 work and yeah. you can pay for it and you could be a portfolio. I I do think that um, you have to be like you have to pick what what projects um, yeah. you can't do everything all in in all things. Um, but sometimes, like you say, you know, you do something and, you know, your name won't be attached to it. Like I, I, it blew, it was a crash course. Like it blew my mind that the idea of ghostwriting, like I've written like, you know, some, some, some novels out there that, you know, I'm like, what, that's how that works. Yeah. Didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> so. It's, yeah, I was, was familiar with that because my dad had done some ghostwriting and had done some, you know, in the back in the day, there would be a paperback series and they would invent a writer who didn't exist. And then eight people could be that writer. Yeah. You know? And it didn't. There's a writer of like sexy spy novels called Troy Conway. And because my father's the only one who ever admitted that he was Troy Conway, he is credited with all 35 Troy Conway novels. <laughs> he wrote 11 wow. of them. You know, but on, on eBay, I'll see, you know, rare Michael Avalon. I'm like, that's not one of his, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that is one of the eight other guys who were Troy Conway that wow. never admitted that they were Troy Conway, but he uh, didn't, he didn't care about that. Stuff. I, I, I mean, I've, I've written in Hollywood for 16 years. So the idea of my name not ending up on something that I uh, made a significant contribution to is, uh, is, is not remotely foreign to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also think it's sort of a, this is one of my little private obsessions, but I think one of the reasons writers love, uh, detective stories so often we have the experience I've had this experience more times than I can name of like being dead ass broke putting a good shave on putting my best suit on driving my dying car to Beverly Hills to someone's fucking mansion and sitting in their living room while they say I have a lot of money and a story to tell and like being the person that solves the rich guy's problem for him, you know, and his problem is he's always wanted to be a novelist. He's always wanted to have his name on a movie. And sometimes you feel bad for taking their money and you feel a little bit like a hustler because you're like, it's never going to be published and this movie's never going to get made, but I will write it for you. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, I had a guy made it, make a deal with me for a, it was a pretty good premise and I wrote a good script and then he ended up hating the script for some reason. And he, I had, we had originally signed a contract that I owned 50% of it and he hated it so much. He was like, I want to buy your 50% back. And I quoted a figure that was double what he had paid me to write the script. And he said, sure. And I bought a car. <laughs> you know, oh, wow. like, there from you go. And that movie had he he could have fed that move that money into an incinerator. That movie never got made. Like he was complete. And that I sort of went like he will never be capable of getting this off the ground. So this is a really good bunch of money to take. I sort of went through and strip mined all of the stuff that was really original out of it, <laughs> and then gave him that copy. And I said, "You can own this one outright." And he went, "Great, fine." So. Uh, Sometimes I think I'll do something with that story because really the basic premise was reconfigure Robin Hood as a sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that, 
that's like falling off a log and I love that movie. And it's, yeah. uh, and he meant, you know, he didn't mean the basic, <clears throat> leg, he meant the Errol Flynn movie, which is a flawless plot. I mean, it's a, that's as good a action movie script as you'll ever find. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we, it's still a good premise, <laughs> you know, and maybe someday I'll give him his car money back, uh, <laughs> do something with it. But, uh, but yeah, I've got a, I got a pile of those dead objects lying around. I always compare those kind of scripts to Frankenstein monsters. You know, you spend a lot of time in the lab, you cobble something together, you pull the lever, the lightning strikes, the thing doesn't get up and walk off the table. You go back to the graveyard, yeah. <laughs> back to the graveyard with my shovel. Uh, but as long as somebody paid, you know, yeah. And I had an experience recently where the first ghost writing I did in 91 and 92, the producer kind of forgot that it was ghostwriting and posted a, an interview with me on their website saying oh, that wow. I, saying that I had written these two movies. I was like, okay, if we're admitting that now. Great. <laughs> you know, like, it only took 30 years. Would have maybe helped my career when I was 25 if you had admitted that in, you know, 90, 94. But it happens. Mm. So uh, are you also writing at Mad Cave or are you just editing over there? Um, say just editing, but you're editing. just editing. I'll, I'll say just editing for right now. I've, I got a couple things in the works, but nothing official yet, but predominantly it's just been just editing. What was, what was the process of setting up, uh, black cotton at, uh, at scout? How did that go? So it was, it was, it was fairly smooth. It was, um, kind of informal to an extent where um, I linked up with with Brendan, uh, the mm. CEO. Um, he was he put something on Facebook about um, looking for some short story ideas. Like this was like in twenty, I guess twenty nineteen, um, and like late like late twenty nineteen. And so I messaged and then I sent some of my stories over. Um, nothing really panned out from them except for the fact that he really liked my writing. And so we just began to talk. Um, and he knew that I also, uh, was self-publishing writing comics and I was editing for Mad Cave. So when, uh, when Patrick and I, you know, we were already working on Black Cotton and we had already finished like the first issue. And we hadn't decided what we were going to do with Black Cotton. You know, our first thought was we were just going to self-publish it. I was like, well, what do you think about Scout? And Pat was like, you think? I'm like, well, I'm I'm kind of in touch with Brendan. I, you know, I mean, he's he's real cool. You know, I think we can send it to him and, and you know, and see what happens. And so I kind of did like an informal pitch to Brendan, he said, yeah, send it in. So we sent it in and like a week later, they were welcoming us to the Scout family. Nice. Um, so, you know, we were crazy excited about that. Well, and that's the, you know, that's, that, that brings up a good point. I, I, I talk a lot about networking and how misunderstood it was. It is. And I think the number one thing is to let go of the desperation that this is the moment, this is the thing, this is the project, this is the thing that has to go for me. It's like mm -hmm. you, you and you know, you and Brennan tried to work a thing out, nothing came of it. And then I don't know how much longer later 
you circled back and you got a comic at his company. And that's, right. that's what it's, you know, networking is making friends. People are always like, ah, people only hire yeah. their friends. Damn right. I want to work with my friends. Everybody wants to work with their friends. Agreed. So it's making friends. And if you can get the dollar signs out of your eyes and just be a good person who wants to help and who wants to be part of something, people see that and they dig it. And when something comes up and it works out and you have an opportunity to circle back and say, hey, man, how about this thing? They say yes, they say no. But the bridge is not burned and the door is open. Absolutely. You know, I was at a comedy show once with an old friend of mine who's a stand-up comic. And we we're waiting online to catering and there was a young woman in front of us and we just introduced ourselves and said, how are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm very nervous. I have the most important audition of my life tomorrow. And without wanting to, me and the old stand-up comic just burst into laughter, uh, not wanting to hurt. And we were like, oh, I'm so, yeah. so, I'm so sorry. It is, I promise you, your audition tomorrow, it is not the most important audition of your life. And you won't know that something was the most important audition in your life for 20 years when you look back and go, that was the most important audition. The one that's tomorrow, that's yeah. just another day, man. Go in, do your best thing, go home. Forget yeah. it happened. <laughs> that, is the, that is the only way to survive in all of this stuff is you make your pitch, it goes over the plate, they swing, whatever. You deal with the consequences, but I never put that on yourself that you're going in like, be as relaxed as you possibly can. Be hungover if you can. You know, like <laughs> take all of the. I did my SATs hungover, and I I recommend it to everyone. Uh, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. It's a, it's a great point. I mean, I think you're you, when you meet somebody, you're trying to get you know you're trying to get three jobs over the next ten years and not one job today. I mean, that's uh, yeah. that's the way to do it. An editor is um is trying to put together a very complex puzzle, and in their heads right and uh and you may fit into that puzzle that picture immediately right uh but they may see they may say oh you know what this is a really pretty corner piece i'm gonna need this later so let me let me stick it up on the shelf and uh and whatever it might be tomorrow it might be two years right. down the line they're gonna be putting together that corner of the puzzle and be like oh you know what you know what would be great this one and so, so, so you you are not trying to get into the picture right here and right now. You are trying to be the piece that gets put up on the shelf, uh, and and stored for later, right? Um, and and that's how that's how all of the best relationships, uh, uh, you know, and and whether it was film and TV or comics or anything for me have gone, um, you know. And I find that if I get one job with somebody, I usually get two, three, four, five jobs for somebody. Uh, uh, the TV show I just sold the Lionsgate. It's um, uh, it started with a production company, and it's it's the sixth uh, film or TV project they they hired me on. Uh, they they you know they like me. Uh, they know they can count on me. They know I'm, they know I'm not a cretin. I'm I'm, I'm easy to get along with, right? Um, and so so that's all you're doing is you know you you are trying to uh, you're trying to build a marriage and you're not trying to uh, uh, you know work a one night stand. I mean I think all about relationships. I think yeah. that's the way to say it. You know. Yeah. No. And it and, and it, it's in all I of your. Really. I was gonna say it's in it's in all of your relationships and you know I would say comics is a community and uh, your collaborators are your immediate community, your immediate mm -hmm. family, and. Uh, if I do an interview about something I got coming up and I don't mention Taylor Esposito, I'm a bad guy. You know what I mean? Like 
talk about your colorist. Talk about your letterer. Yeah, it ain't just you and penciler, man. It's it's you know, it's a it's a whole team. And when you, you know, not to say that it's about some sort of calculated buying of loyalty, but it's like you treat people like a human being and like a professional you will get treated well by them the rest of your career. And it's, you know, just basic human respect. You know, my father actually yeah. thought that to me. He's like, ever look everyone in the eye, shake their hands, ask their name and treat them, treat them with respect. And if it doesn't come back, you never need to talk to them again. If it comes back, you got a lifelong relationship. Yeah. And, and they're, it, yeah, they're your, 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 go ahead. No, I was just saying that's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're, they're your immediate collaborators, and then they're your friends, right? I mean, I think comics in general is a team sport. You know, the, the, this this podcast is about that, really. I mean, it's uh, it's become a cliche now, but if a door opens for me in comics, the first thing I try to do is jam twelve of my my friends through it before before it closes. And I think I just think that that's good. That's good baseball. It's uh, it's it's good karmically. It's good for everybody. Um, uh, you, you know, it's like, uh, oh, you know, a con calls me and says, hey, do you want to guess? Do you want to do this? It's like, oh, yeah. Um, do you need more people? Because these six people I know, uh, I, I could uh, I could put a call in and uh, and oh, yeah, we actually do need some people. So, you know, let me like, <laughs> keep moving, guys. Move through the door, move through the door before it closes. Um, you know, and, and <laughs> if, if you operate that way. Um, my opportunities are your opportunities, then it, it gets reciprocated. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, there's there's a reason why, uh, you know, Charlie Charlie Stickney and, and I are so close because we both have that same philosophy. Um, uh, if, if, if you know, it, yeah, 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 and you know him well. And it's it's um, if if I have an opportunity, uh, it's it's Charlie's opportunity. If Charlie has an opportunity, uh, that's his opportunity. And it's been like that for a long time since we were since we were both, you know. Um, you know, trying to sling self-published books at, um, at, uh, you know, at cons and stuff like that. And, um, and now Charlie is the co-publisher of a, a, of a great, you know, comic, uh, company. Right. And, and that's what happens over the years. Right. Um, that, that, that assistant you were nice to, uh, 10 years ago is now a, a, a VP at Warner brothers. Um, and they remember that you were nice to them <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and when you show up on the meeting sheet, they get excited and, uh, and, 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 you know, and, uh, and they're more um, interested in reading your material and all of that stuff. And, um, you know, I just, uh, it's, a, uh, you know, you may believe in karma or you may not, but I think if you, if you hang around comics, if you hang around film and TV long enough, you see that, you know, whatever you send out comes back to you, like, you know, uh, uh, tenfold. Right. So, um, so if there was ever a, uh, you know, um, proof of karma, <laughs> um, um, there it is. Right. I wanted to, ask about how you feel about being an editor versus being a writer. What's it like working with other writers for you as a writer? I really, really enjoy it. Um, I really feel like um, it, it kind of, they kind of go into each other. Like, and I'm not sure if that's normally how it works uh, for an editor who is a writer or a writer who is an editor. But for me, um, and I think, being a teacher for 17 years kind of mm. helped me with like being able to take a step back um, and really look at what's in front of me, you know, look at the story. Um, so in that sense, like I, I, I really enjoy being able to um, kind of exegete, dissect the craft, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what's, what's author's purpose and what 
they're attempting to do and and how they're doing it. Um, so and from that, I I learn a lot that I then apply as a writer. Uh, so one, they both feed into each other for me. At least, sure, I can see it. I think I I do think that teaching is sort of baked into writing a little bit. Mm. You know, because yeah. it's it's storytelling, and the best teaching is storytelling. Hundred uh, percent. I'm a history obsessive, and sometimes I've, you know, a friend has made a mistake of asking me to explain some historical event for them, and I do it, and they're like, "Well, that's fascinating." And when my history teacher told me that shit in seventh grade, it seemed boring as hell. And I'm like, "Well, but they're stories. They're great yeah. stories." Yeah. And if you key into to me, teaching is, let me tell you a great story, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I mean, particularly history teaching, but a lot of, a lot of teaching. And I might, I don't, uh, I'm not an editor per se, but I've been doing development work the last couple of years with a production company out here. Okay. And every time they send me a script or, a, or an outline or something, I have a moment of like, oh, what if I'm not going to have, what if I don't have anything to say about this? And weirdly, I always end up having something. <laughs> I, 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 and it's, 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 it's never going to be one major thing that strikes me as a a flaw or a thing that needs to be altered or changed. And it's just always that like, but I pick up the script. I'm like, I know these things are never flawless, but what if it's all just dumb little nitpicky shit and not like, hey, one of the one of your foundational struts on this building is going to collapse and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. No, no, knowing you for a good long while now, your problem is never going to be that you don't have something to say about. Yeah, I'm worse than you with with, with that. Uh, uh, but 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 I think we're both good in terms of we will have feedback at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and I and I enjoy it, and there is, yeah. it's different when it's your story. There's mm -hmm. a great freedom in like. The, it not being your child and you can say you know that kid needs speech therapy like you know you're not you're not wrapped up in it you're not yeah. like oh that hurts my feelings it's like no true. you know and i also think that when you when writers do it i think we're a little better with delivering the message well not all writers are good at this and certainly not all editors are good at this but um that thing of you don't start with the bad. You start with the good things yeah. and you move towards the things that need help. And you, you know, you make them feel good about what, and you know, I can, I, when other people do that to me, when I'm getting notes from someone, I don't mind that I, I see the structure of it. Yeah. Like, okay, here's the praise. We're getting to the stuff that's not praise. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You know, I'm writing something for TV now, and the producer's an old friend of mine. And whatever he calls, it's always like, "This script is so great, I love it." Here's what you need to change. <laughs> it's coming. It's so coming. Enthusiastic with the love that it it, it is all fine. And well, honestly, the notes have been. I don't know if this is a function of age, but like, I got a bunch of notes from Warner Brothers yesterday and looked at them and went, "Yeah, this is all fine." <laughs> you know, like it wasn't. I am. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I, you know, it's. Yeah. And, also, I think when you're a professional and you're doing a professional job and it's not a creator-owned thing and it's not, I mean, look, we all get personally invested in everything we write. There's no way around that. But when notes are precise enough 
when it's we don't like this one line on page eight, change it to mean something slightly different like this. I love that. I a note that can be done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that can be achieved. Because we've all gotten the like, we think the eight-year-old black kid should be a 50-year-old white man note. And you go, I, I got to do what now? <laughs> but it's a story about, okay. Yeah. You know, I've had, yeah. I've had those. I've had those notes where it's yeah. like, what if, you know, your story's about a dog. What if it's a small boy? Uh, <laughs> Field, yeah. Field of Dreams, does it have to be baseball? Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> Tennis courts are prettier. Badminton. Yeah. Really change the story. Okay. In the same way that baseball. And you get those. But notes that are change this to that, make this more clear. I fucking love those notes. Make it more clear. That's you. Oh, you're you're asking me to write it dumber. Fantastic. I can absolutely (laughs) dumb that line down. Yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, having an editor that has written a lot, his or herself, is, is very great because. I mean, the notes I love are, are you know, a lot of time my writing is a, a high wire act, right? I'm swinging for the fucking fences, right? Um, and, you know, if, if, if somebody's just like, I don't get this at all, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I will dismiss that immediately, you know? Um, uh, <laughs> what, what the fuck is wrong with you? But a writer can step in and be like, I can see what you were trying to do. You set this up. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, 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 you hit a fence post in the middle here. That was great. Um, we didn't quite clear the bar you wanted to over here. Like I see, I see what you were trying to do. You didn't quite right. nail it. Let's adjust this. Like I, 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 I can buy into that. I can be like, Oh, this person is buying into what I'm trying to do. I was swinging for the fences. You know, they're, they're, they're not saying, ah, don't, don't bother swinging for the fences. Give me a double here or whatever. Sometimes you need to do that. But I, I feel like a writer can go in and can, can take it apart and put it together in a way that maybe, someone else can't right um and then that translates in your writing also you know yeah. i mean w- w- once you have taken apart stories over and over and over again and put oh, them yeah. back together um and and like you're saying avalone you have you have approached material in a way that is unemotional and, uh, and non-sentimental right i mean i feel like if you do that with enough other stories you get to a place where you can to a degree apply that same sense to to your story of course, you're all in, and you are you are emotionally uh, 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 invested in it 100 as you are writing it. But I feel like you develop a second persona where you can you, you can set it aside for for a day or two, and then you can come back with your editor hat on, right? You can leave that sentimentality aside for a minute, and you can unemotionally approach the material. You've done it so often. You have your reps. Um, you know, it's almost like a a meditation, right? You, you, mm-hmm. you you've practiced this. Now you're going to apply it in life. Um, and I, I, I think that's, that's interesting. I think it's some, something that, um, that everybody would benefit from. Yeah. So, so I, what, 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 go ahead. No, I was saying I agree. Yeah. 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 What, what I'm interested in getting to before we go is I want to hear how the aftershock thing played out because aftershock is a, you know, it's a big get, um, uh, you know, good company doing a lot of interesting things and, um, and you know, it, it does end up being a, um, a, you know, a sort of launching pad for a lot of things. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people write their aftershock book and then they, you know, like our friend David Pepos and then end up at uh, at Marvel or DC or something like that. Right. Um, so I'm interested in that. And then, um, and then I also know um, from some personal experience that the aftershock uh, uh, game is a lot different than, uh, than making your own comics at home, hiring your own artist, uh, taking a finished book into, um, you know, to, to a publisher and saying, here it is. 
Um, uh, so let's talk about that. I, I want to hear how it happened and I want to hear, you know, what the process has been like for you and how it's different and, and, and how, how, how that's been great, how that's been, you know, challenging, whatever. Well, I mean, it, um, well, where should I start? Um, so Ryan, uh, Ryan Carroll actually reached out to me, um, through DMs actually on Twitter. Um, and yeah, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. Um, and, um, you, and I, and I got the invite, you know, he asked me, you know, I would be interested in, 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 in speaking with them, you know, um, that he'd read Black Cotton, um, that was Dominion, a book I was, um, working on writing for with Black Box Comics. And I was like, I definitely would be interested in talking. So that meeting was set up and, you know, I got to meet him and, and, and Mike and, and, and Christina. And, you know, it's, I mean, I have nothing but great things to say. You know, they, they explained, you know, uh, they introduced me to Aftershock and yeah. who they are and what they're about. Um, and of course, you know, I had, I had some, some familiarity, you know, because I read their books, but like I got to know who they are as, uh, as people, um, and as a company, and what the vision in the field, the the atmosphere, um, is and was and is, uh, and so from there, you know, I had the opportunity to to pitch, and I I went guns a blazing, <laughs> and um, you know I got a got several rejections on the pitch, on the pitches that I sent in, um, but each one came with you know great notes, and you know the grow the glows and grows, you know, as we said, you know when we when I taught, like you know you give the glows and the grows, you know, what works and what's not working. And so, um, but the notes were excellent. The comments, you know, were nice. And I took each pitch rejection as like a way to grow, a way that, you know, they were challenging me, you know, to find that right story, you know, to 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 partner with them on. And, and I loved it, you know, it, it's not, you know, no one likes rejection yeah. or like you think you have a great idea like yeah that that's it right there and then all of a sudden it's like oh no that's not it okay and you know you can do one or two things you can go sulk and like man what's wrong with this idea or you can say okay well that wasn't it what is the next and i honestly took it as a process and as a journey and you know i didn't immediately just come back with something else you know i I let life was influenced by everything going on around me, being inspired and letting that creativity just, you know, well up. And then when I felt that I had a story that either I was kind of churning on anyway, when it felt right, I went back and I sent something else in and, and that led to the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vineyard though when i sent that it felt right it felt it felt different from all the others that i thought was it that one just i felt it this is definitely it yeah yeah and and and, and so you're sending them you know what three four page documents to start yes uh, yeah Yeah. just 
just a, a you know general sense of mm-hmm. what the world is what the general story is the characters the you know and then and, and then you build that out with them over time once they accept yes. something is that how it goes yeah. yes the process after that i absolutely yeah. love as well because you yeah. know it's it's all that great pre-writing stuff yeah so yeah. I mean, what I love about the initial process is, I mean, it can be frustrating um, that you pitch them five things, they say no to all of them, right? But, 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 mm-hmm. but here's the thing: is they're not. It's 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 not just a a it's not just a hands off rejection. It's not just like ah, not right for us. They're coming back with feedback. Like right, they, yeah. they they have taken the time to analyze this thing. Mm-hmm. give you feedback on it and that's feedback that you can take and, and incorporate into this thing and now you Absolutely. have this you have this really great proposal for something it wasn't right for them doesn't mean right. it's not it doesn't mean it's not a great proposal right Absolutely. it's like again aftershock is building a very specific puzzle like mm-hmm. they they need pieces that fit their picture and your your robin hood uh, uh take they may already have a robin hood book right, right. they may already have a werewolf book um, and you may have the greatest werewolf uh, book of all time, but if they're two issues into something else, they're not going to publish another one. Right. right. Um, that's what I love about a process like these. And, and I would say, you know, um, you know, probably three quarters of the stuff that I've sold in Hollywood um, uh, came about because I was trying to slip something into someone else. Mm-hmm. It, it was something like this. Okay. Right. And they were challenging me on my ideas, making me build them out. Right. So I build a, um, I'm I'm developing something with a director, right? And and we build out this really great thing that goes nowhere. Um, uh, and it's easy to be like, oh, that sucks. Like uh, the director left, uh, the studio said no. Um, I wasted all this time, but you didn't. You have this. You have this meaty yeah. story. You have this beautiful piece of marble now that can be made into a, a you know a beautiful statue somewhere else, right? Um, and so, and so, so not only did you, you know, not only every time you're coming to them with great ideas, you're, you're earning more respect and, 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 and they're falling in love with you over time as you're doing this. Um, and you were laying down the track to eventually get that one sort of past the goalie at Aftershock and you did. Um, and it's challenging you to come up with new ideas and take an idea off the shelf that you haven't built out yet. And, and I feel like that is where the real writing work is done. You know, of course you're going to, you're going to build that, that story out later and you're going to make the issues and it's going to be great, but it's like, well, not only did you do that and, and get this thing made, well, now you have this trove of really well-developed ideas that when your aftershock book hits and IDW calls, uh, reaches out to you via your DMS, which, you know, rarely happens. And that's awesome. Uh, uh, um, and says, Hey, what do you got? You're like, well, actually, I have these four things right now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and one of those, and those things right. weren't necessarily right for Aftershock at that time, but, but they may be right for IDW. They may be right for Dark Horse. They may be um, uh, whatever. True. Particularly when you have more cachet, and so it's like, um, that's really interesting to me. Um, yeah, that, uh, and that goes. You know, my dad when he his first published novel was his seventh written novel. Yeah. Mm. Eventually. I think five out of the six first six did get published somewhere once he was a published author. Somehow once you're a published author, your shitty manuscript that everybody hates <laughs> is weirdly better than it was a month ago. Yeah. It's suddenly good because someone else said that you can you can write. And it is it's funny that that's how the business works, but that is how the business works. Yeah. And well, well, I do think it's the you can always kind of tell an amateur by how protective they are of their ideas, mm. by like, oh, I, I, you know, you gotta sign sign an NDA before we have coffee. <laughs> uh, it's like, 
if you're a writer, an idea is the cheapest currency there is. I, you know, you have five ideas before coffee in the morning. Yeah. Eventually, you do you develop the ones. But if you're someone who like has two ideas, yeah, not a writer of any stripe. You know, you need yeah. to actually. I vaguely, Howard Chaikin told me a story once about getting headhunted to write television. And someone and the producer, he asked the producer, why me? I'm a comic book writer. And he said, because you guys, you monthly comic book guys, you're coming up with a story every week and a half. Like you, you have to, you can't survive otherwise. He's like, the guys in my writer's room put their name on one script a year. And if they have three ideas over a 24 episode season, they've had a great year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like... You don't have that luxury. You got to be story, 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 story. And the degree to which having this as a full-time job has made me someone who like, and you know, I say this at the risk of, it's it sounds braggy, but it's like someone comes to me with a, a job offer and says, hey, I'm doing a thing. I just finished a script the other day for a Shakespeare horror anthology. Ooh. Horror stories rooted in Shakespeare. Nice. And when he told me that, I think I had the idea for the piece I was going to write within about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have been that good 20 years ago. Yeah. That what I would have gone, you know, it'll work. Here's what'll work. Richard III is a vampire. Got it. Moving on. That's the, that's the gag. That's what we're going to do. Uh, eight pages of that. Falling off a log. Write it by, before lunch tomorrow. You know, it's like... <laughs> But you have you can't survive, you know. You really like there are there are people whose very famous novel writing careers involved them thinking about a novel for ten years, writing it, getting published. It's the great American novel. Those people never work again. Yeah, you know they, they end up. You know, you know who Truman Capote wrote, was. He wrote what two novels, three? You know, Harper Lee's got that one. Yeah, that got made into a movie and three Broadway shows, but. I can't imagine being a writer and having one. One. Like that, 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 and again, all power tour. It's a great book. Right. It's very influential. They make all high school students read it, whatever. But it's like, you know, I'm, if there's talent I'm jealous of, it's Dashiell Hammett's. I am not jealous of writing five novels in six years and then essentially never working again. That's mm. like, like if that's the trade off that you have to make to write the Maltese Falcon, I'll, I'll just keep writing my comic books every two weeks, man. I, I like, I'll, I'll stick in my part of the playground because uh, I like doing it. Uh, you know, I have no, I know there are people out there who like, they like having written and they like saying they're a writer, but hands on keyboard is sort of torture for them. And I'm like, I have a lot of pity for that. I hands on keyboard is a friggin' joy to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can't imagine getting up and facing my day and, you know, bringing the coffee over to the computer and going, uh, this again. <laughs> maybe well I worked in factories. Yeah. You know, maybe it's because I used to, you know, make furniture for a living when I was a teenager and was a grip on, you know, hanging off a scaffolding by my feet in, in my twenties that I'm like, I guess put on soft clothes and type all day. That's, that's pretty good stuff, actually. That's yeah, good stuff. Very good stuff. I know exactly anyway, what you mean. Probably wrap. Uh, the vineyard, the vineyard comes out August twenty third, twenty second. August third. August third. Okay, sorry. 23rd. No, no, good. 
and that's uh, go to your LCS now and demand that they order it if the uh, FOC has if the FOC hasn't passed yet, uh, or even if it has. No, yeah. it's um July. The FOC is July 11th. Okay. Plenty of all the time in the world. Plenty to, of time. To go down there and tell. But sounds like a great series. I I noticed yeah. you have a cover by uh, the great Frank Avia, who's absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, like Sammy. And Jason and and Taylor. I was gonna say I I thought I saw Taylor's name on that book. It's just it's it's been amazing. It's yeah. just been a amazing yeah, to be part of that that creative team. So. Francisco, I did a a comedy book called The Shape of Elvira that was a like parody of The Shape of Water starring Elvira, and Frank Avia did four covers for it. And they were so hauntingly beautiful. I was yeah, like, those are great covers. I don't know if this is the right cover for this comedy book, man. Like, <laughs> this would have worked as a poster for The Shape of Water, but Jesus Christ, these are just too gorgeous. They look like the covers of 1970s gothic romances. Yep. They were so good. And that's perfect for your series. Uh, so it's it's great. But yeah, uh, Francisco. Yeah, amazing that. talent. Yeah. I was like, I one of my, I think my second series, Twilight Zone: The Shadow. I got uh, Francisco to do four covers for that, and they were fantastic. I have one of them framed, uh, though I did I couldn't afford the original art, but he was nice enough to make a color Xerox for me. Uh, <laughs> cool. But uh, where can people find you on the net, Brian? Um, Twitter a lot at Brian Hawkins, um, IG. Brian Hawkins writes um, Substack, Brian Hawkins writes, which is basically everything for me. Brian Hawkins writes. Um, my <laughs> website is it's the exact same thing. The only thing I don't have that is, as that is is, is Twitter. So um, okay. Facebook, Twitter, IG, Substack, and website. Brian Great. Hawkins writes. Great. And Ryland, where can the kids at home find you? Uh, check out me on Substack at Ryland Grant Poops. Um, yeah, new thing I'm launching. Uh, uh, you know, very uh, no, that was that was a bad joke. I, I've, re <laughs> I've resorted to poop jokes now. I'm, I'm tired. Uh, well, now you're award-winning. You feel like you can get away with it. Yeah, you? there you go. It's, it's, uh, bring, bring. There you, you go. Uh, um, <laughs> I am on all forms of social media. This thing is falling apart right now. I'm going to uh, try to tape it back together. You can find me on all forms of social media at Ryland Grant. Uh, it's R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. Uh, I always spell it for the people who are listening because it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for you. Um, but, uh, my books, the, uh, Ringo award-winning Aberrant, uh, the four-time Ringo nominated Banjax and, uh, the Tokosatsu joint Suicide Jockeys can be found, uh, at fine comic shops everywhere and, uh, online via Amazon and things like that. Um, nice. what's that? I said nice. Nice! And, nice. uh, my Kickstarter books, the astral projection thriller, the jump and the Fargo S crime drama, the peacekeepers, uh, can be found, uh, on my backer kit, uh, shop. You can go to the jump backerkit.com. That's the jump one word. And the number two, the jump backerkit.com. You'll find those there, uh, autographed, uh, copies of Banjax and Aberrant and rare con variants and all that stuff. Um, and as I said at the top of the show, my latest and greatest, the Wuxia Kung Fu Fit um, Fashing Origins can be had right now if you go to the Immortal Studios website, uh, immortal-studios.com. 
uh, yeah, go find that there. What do you got, Abalone? Nice. Uh, well, currently in stores is Elvira in Horrorland. Note the uh, Psycho-related covers. Oh, wow, pretty. And me and Dave Acosta are trying to bring back the dialogue balloon. On nice. The nice. Single-handedly, nice. we are doing it. Yeah. Nice. The thought balloon is coming back in issue three because you know I'm all about I'm all about comics being comics. Um, and you can find me the, the growing up. I got teased a lot about my last name in the 21st century. I am very easily Googleable, and that is uh, that is a good thing. Uh, David Avaloni Freelance.com is the website that branches off to all the social medias and what have you. And yeah, second issue of Elvira and Harland. She's a Kubrick house coming at the end of june i think the 22nd that's it for this exciting episode of the writer's block thank you so much brian for joining us thanks for having me enjoyed it most exciting episode thanks for listening guys if you're watching us on youtube be sure to smash that like button if you're listening to us on apple podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack please leave us a five-star review and wherever you're watching and or listening subscribe 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 we'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the writer's block for more information visit pendantaudio.com thanks for listening